0: I think that if you had pure software, that's cool, but combining it with the service element of sorts really makes the solution way more powerful. Hey
1: there, Powder Cake fans. Welcome to episode 72 of Powder Cake Igniting Startups, the show for entrepreneurs Leaders and innovators building remarkable tech companies in communities outside of Silicon Valley. I'm your host Matt Hunkler, and today's show is unlike anything we've done. I'm super excited to have this opportunity. Uh, you know, one of our partners uh, who we've actually had on the show here before, Emma Counting, is based in Indianapolis and was recently acquired by West Coast Company in And we actually have the founders of each of those companies here on the show today. And if you're listening to this the day this comes out, this is literally the day this news is breaking, which means we're recording it before the news is even breaking. So uh, this is really unprecedented on the show and super excited to share that uh, with this particular audience and super excited to share our two guests. Uh, Our first guest uh, founded M Accounting in 2003 to give small businesses access to CFO services has helped raise more than $150 million in growth capital, has coached multiple startups through their exits, um, and also is actually on a webinar that we have coming up on the 13th of February called How to Be Exit Ready, and is probably one of the biggest Notre Dame fans you'll ever meet. Uh, He is the founder and managing director of M Accounting, Tom Gabbert. Tom, thanks so much for being on the show. Thanks, Matt. It's a pleasure to be here. And then we also have Jessica Ma who founded Indonero to make CFO and COO services accessible to all businesses. Now you've probably heard of her company Indonero. I've been following it for the last several years because more and more of my friends, my entrepreneur friends are using Indonero or their CFO or their controller is. Um, She's really grown the company from literally nothing to a multi-million dollar business, has raised tens of millions of dollars, has grown to hundreds of employees, super high achiever who started college at age 15. Uh, I I feel like I've really been wasting my life just reading her resume. Uh, Please help me (laughs) welcome to the show, the founder and CEO of Indonero, Jessica Ma. Jessica, thanks for being here today.
0: Thanks for having me. Excited to be here.
1: Absolutely. I'd actually love to start the show just by learning a little bit more about your backstory. You know, I had the chance to read a little bit about it and it sounds like you were uh, bitten by the entrepreneurial bug pretty early on. Do you remember your first entrepreneurial memory?
0: I do. My first dollar I've ever made was on the playground in second grade. I sold traced drawings to kids in my class and I managed to sell this horribly drawn tree drawing for a hundred bucks. And wow. that was my first business. And then I just did a lot of small things like that through my childhood. Um, and then that eventually led to the idea for Indonero because I'd had businesses through high school and college where accounting and taxes and just managing my finances was such a big pain. And the idea of using QuickBooks, hiring an accounting firm, I mean, most of them were really not that pleasant to work with. Uh, Tom is definitely an exception to this rule, but at the time I didn't, I didn't meet anyone as cool as Tom in the accounting world. <laughs> and I thought, well, I really need to come up with something better. So, um, so it was cool to get into this business, even though I didn't have any prior accounting experience before until then.
1: How did you know with DeNiro that this was the one to bet big on? Because I, uh, if my sources are correct, this is the first business you've raised any significant funding for uh, and really scaled to the level that you're at. How did you know that this was a particularly big idea?
0: It was pretty obvious from day one that it'd be a big idea because every business has to do their accounting and every business has to file taxes and every entrepreneur has this problem. So I knew that there's a huge market, huge pain point. I had it myself. It wasn't like we were building a app that people might love or they might not love. Um, It it seemed pretty obvious on day one. And I just talked to a lot of my entrepreneur friends about it. I pitched it to a ton of my investor friends and a lot of people were just really excited about it. So I I never really had second thoughts about how big it could be.
1: That's awesome. And so in terms of Uh, really raising that first round of capital, what was the initial pitch that got investors really excited?
0: The first initial pitch was Mint.com for businesses. And this was back when Mint.com was a big thing. For those who don't know, Mint.com is a personal finance tool that sold to Intuit for like $170 million in 2009. And they got a bunch of hype about it back then. And I thought, how cool would it be if there was a tool that was intuitive and fun like Mint, but targeted for businesses. And I put together an application for funding from some early early stage VC firms. So like Lightspeed Ventures, who's best known for funding Snapchat. They gave us our first $35,000 in funding. And, and that's then, pretty great. Yeah, that's great. I mean, no dilution, uh just like no strings attached. They just gave us funding, gave us mentorship and uh so that that's the first dollar, uh the first dollars we ever raised.
1: That's great. And, and in terms of uh kind of reaching those next waves of growth, um what were some of the bigger breakthroughs for Indonero as it's grown? Uh with each wave of funding, obviously you're you're raising that funding to seize more and more opportunity in the marketplace. How has that early vision evolved uh, to where you are today?
0: It's evolved a great deal because when I first started, my main target audience was like mom and pop shops and micropreneurs, people who are opening up their business on Shopify or Etsy or running a food truck. That was my main target audience. But then most of my actual peers and friends were running growth-oriented businesses, whether it be a technology company, software firm, or, or a, a consultancy or agency, they were pretty sophisticated in growing their companies to dozens or hundreds of employees. And so we kind of had to evolve with that. So I love the micropreneurs, but had to grow up, had to go after bigger companies and originally we were accounting only and then based on customer feedback, you realized we had to help them file their taxes too. So uh, the moral to all this is um, whatever the original vision is, it's just going to shift over time after talking to more and more customers.
1: Sure. In terms of the um, the most recent news, which of course again is breaking today, uh, in acquiring uh, very well known in Indianapolis in the Midwest uh, accounting firm M Accounting, uh, what was sort of the opportunity that you saw in uh, deciding to acquire something that is maybe not software first, but is always thought more like a software company?
0: Yeah, it's pretty unconventional, I'd say, for a software company to want to acquire a firm that isn't a pure software company. But what I love about M Accounting in particular is that they really think like a software business, like their cultural DNA is so much like how Indonero is, it just seemed like a really great match. And we really needed to bring in more of that customer service oriented approach to how we do things, to how we serve our customers, and they want more access to technology and IP and software. So it just seemed like a really great uh, mutual fit.
1: It it does seem like a kind of peanut butter and jelly combination, and I would love to uh, get a little bit more perspective from you on that, but first I'd love to hear a little bit more of uh, Tom's story and uh, understand his uh, background because he brings just a wealth of experience in the tech world. And I know he's worked with uh, many great entrepreneurs, not only as clients, but even uh, in-house with entrepreneurs like voicemail inventor Scott Jones, who's been on the show here before. So Tom, I was wondering if you could maybe uh, share your own first entrepreneurial memory.
2: Yeah. So I have been in and around entrepreneurial ventures most of my professional career. Unlike Jessica, I wasn't, I wasn't selling things on the playground when I was a kid. Um, but I've always I've always had this passion for um, entrepreneurship and just love the energy love working with entrepreneurs. And so even when I when I was first out of college, my first job was with Price Waterhouse way back in the day I'm dating myself. But um, I was uh, working in entrepreneurial services group at that time. So I've always always kind of been drawn toward those folks. Um, I was uh, most recently before I started this, I was the CFO for a uh, tech company here in town called Eshant, and you mentioned Scott Jones a second ago. I was working with Scott on that on that company and um, Was there through the sale? ultimately the sale of those companies and decided it was time to leverage my experience in Working with tech companies to start my own venture I had this this idea this passion that I wanted to start something of my own and my uh, my thought at the time was that there really wasn't a good place for entrepreneurial companies, business owners to go to for um, forward-looking CFO, financial you know, strategic advice to help them grow their business. They were going to traditional accounting firms and they were frankly a little bit frustrated because they weren't wired that way to help them. So that was kind of the the genesis for M-Accounting. We thought there's a market out there of small business owners that need Uh, CFO-level advice, uh, but they don't need it full-time. They didn't need need to go hire a very expensive full-time resource. They could get it on a fractional model. Now, keep in mind, this was was 15-plus years ago when the whole idea of outsourcing really didn't exist, or if it did, it was in its infancy. Um, So we were kind of blazing a trail, but um, very quickly we determined, you know, the dogs are eating the dog food here. People really like this model, and we started to grow it. And we had some success at the CFO level, and also had clients who were pulling us downstream, saying, "Hey, I love this model, like the CFO services, but I need somebody coming in just helping me at the transaction level get my bills paid and the invoices out on time." So anyway, that's you know, fast forward 15 years now, we've been doing this. Um, The whole outsourcing model has grown quite a bit. In fact, small businesses are comfortable outsourcing everything these days. Um, You know, HR and marketing and um, accounting and you name it. Um, so we, our vision has come true and we have um, evolved with the times and been very, very focused on uh, technology too, which is where In fits in. Well, and,
1: and we're certainly one of those companies. Um, you know, it's been a real pleasure to have you guys working with us as our CFO, our outsourced CFO, so to speak. Um, and, you know, we've talked on previous episodes uh, about the benefits of having a financial model, um, whether it's to raise a round of funding, uh, or it's to even just make decisions day-to-day uh, as a business uh, to even just taking some of the headache out of running a business from bookkeeping to taxes. Um, I love that you guys do all of that. And it does seem like you've really found a sweet spot in leveraging the best of class SaaS companies, SaaS tools out there um, to make it yeah. easier for entrepreneurs. Can you tell me a little bit about how you found that um, that particular lever for you guys as a business because it really differentiates you from a lot of the other accounting firms that are out there.
2: Yeah, no, that's, that's a good point. And we, we do feel like it differentiates us. And part of it is my background. I've, I've been kind of in and around the tech world um, most of my professional career. And so I'm drawn to it. I'm kind of a gadget guy. And we've always said that M accounting is the uh, the accounting firm that wants to be a tech company, which is ironic now that we are actually, we are a tech company. We've joined in De so it's kind of fun news, but, we have used technology as a differentiator for years. In fact, we saw, I would say, going back five or six years ago, we saw the shift that was happening in the accounting profession where uh, some pretty big changes were coming, being driven by technology, where you could no longer had to go to somebody's office and open the stack of mail and you know, put things into a desktop server and file things and cut checks and mail things out. I mean, all that whole paper driven model was all blowing up and it was, it was blowing up because of technology that was available, you know, tools like, you know, bill.com and Expensify. And some of those, uh, as you mentioned, third party apps that talk to QuickBooks were coming on the scene in a, in a very robust way. And it was making our life as accountants uh, much better, much more efficient and, really changing the game. So we, we spent a fair amount of time looking at it, testing it, making sure it, it was going to work the way we wanted. And then we were early adopters and rolling it out to our clients. And I think, as you mentioned, Matt, it's been a real differentiator for us in the market.
1: Yeah. In terms of, you mentioned you're a gadget guy, Tom, um, in terms of testing out new software, um, as an entrepreneur, looking at these tools, even utilizing them for yourself, how are you making those decisions of which ones to keep and kind of add to your sort of uh, so to speak tech stack uh, in terms of how you're um, creating more value or creating more efficiencies at the company and which ones yeah. you're, you kind of let lapse and maybe you don't renew for the next month.
2: Yeah, no, that's a good, good question. And you know, in the early days that was me doing it because I enjoyed it. I, I was always looking at what, what was new coming down the bike, but now we have a team of folks, a technology solutions group that really is looking at, the landscape of um, new technology that's out there going to conferences every year, uh, testing things out. And our goal is really to use the best in class products that are out there to help our clients. And we are, we are product neutral. um, So we're always kind of, you know, evaluating what's out there. And this is part of what we love about the the merger with Indonero is we now, we now have a group of developers in house that can help us, um, not only use other third-party apps that may exist, but to develop our own platforms that can, that, that can help clients realize, you know, a better service delivery model. So we're, we're really excited about that.
1: Mm, I love that. So uh, kind of backpedaling a minute, just to like even those days when you were doing the vetting yourself or what your in-house team does today, are there specific like criteria that you're evaluating on when you're trying out these new products um, and certainly you'll have a set of criteria when you're developing your own products. And I, I do definitely want to talk to that, especially knowing that Jessica has some computer science background uh, and, and of course has oversight over the entire development team there in Monero um, But in, in terms of taking off the shelf tools and off the shelf products, Tom, uh, what are some of those things that for you are like, this is a, this is a let's absolutely use it and try it out. Or uh, this is definitely something we need to let expire and, uh, and go on to the next thing.
2: Yeah, so you know, it's really driven by the pain points that we see in the market. So if we see that there's either inefficiency in a process that could be automated through technology or there's just you know, a, a better uh, way to do, thing, do things or you know, something that will create more stickiness with our clients, you know, we're, we're drawn to it and we'll try it out. But it really comes from that you know, feedback we get from our clients or things that we experience firsthand where we say wow i wish there was something that could solve this problem and then we're you know we're out there looking for it you know whether that's you know financial reporting dashboards you know cash flow management bill payment i mean there's all kinds of things that have come on the scene in the last 5 years that have changed the way we as accountants you know provide service to our to our clients
1: and are those usually coming from industry connections or industry recommendations or are you going to Google and typing in, you know, financial reporting dashboard coming from like a platform like G2 crowd or some of the other, um, software scoring platforms out there.
2: You know, some of it, you know, is we'll go, some of it's driven by just a search where we'll say, Hey, here's a problem we have. Let's go see what's out there. But I would say that's more unusual. These days we're pretty active in the industry, looking at what's on the horizon. So we'll go to trade shows. In fact, we went to three this year. Um, you know, just to understand what new stuff is coming and we'll sit in on product demos and try things ourselves we're our own guinea pig often um, and just see what we see what we think about it try it out and then if we feel like this is really solid and we're ready to hitch our wagon to it then we will um, roll it out to to some clients and get started with it
1: i love it how did you first hear about wind do you remember
2: yeah, you know, we have um, been paying attention to in, Ingeniero for a while because they're a great story. I mean, Jessica has really built this business from the ground up, and we've been impressed not only with her but with their model and the way they do things. So we've we've had you know mutual admiration, I guess, for a while. They've been watching us from afar. We've been watching them from afar. We met oh, probably a couple of years ago. Now we first started talking, and it was really just a get to know you. Um, and understand more about their model, really didn't have the end in mind at that point. But the more we got to know them, the more we understood their visions for what they were trying to create in the industry, the more we got excited about it and the more the merger made sense to us.
1: Jessica, do you remember your first interactions with uh, Tom or the M Accounting team?
0: Yeah, I remember meeting Tom in person for the first time at QuickBooks Connect. <laughs> yeah which is the official uh, QuickBooks uh, conference run by Intuit.
1: What was your first impression uh, in in talking to Tom?
0: First impression? Super smart, really cares about company culture, and and that's uh, fairly unusual for me to hear from accounting firm owners. (laughs) So delightful surprise is how I would describe it.
1: Yeah, I, I agree. You can definitely feel the vibe when you're in the M Accounting uh, offices. And I've always enjoyed learning from Tom and how he leads that team. Uh, you know, you you brought up that it's interesting kind of um, in De Niro being a software company and acquiring a services company. Uh, you know, a lot of what we've heard from other entrepreneurs on this show is that uh, sometimes investors are even driving to like get rid of services revenue or shy away from adding Uh, customer service headcount. What was it uh, about uh, M-Accounting and this opportunity for Indonero that made you say, hey, you know what? Uh, We have software. We've got great software, but we see a real value add here uh, in doing something that other software companies aren't doing.
0: Yeah, I break it up into two parts. One is why are we even open to doing something so wacky or going against the grain in the first place. And then two, why am accounting in particular? Sure. So for part one of the question, why would we even consider this when investors and VCs say stay away from services is uh, because I think that this is the best way to deliver a solution to customers. I think that if you had pure software, that's cool, but combining it with the service element of sorts really makes the solution way more powerful. It's kind of like have Uber, you could have said, why does Uber have drivers? Uber could have just focused on building self-driving car capabilities and they should have launched with that and they aren't a good company because they have to have drivers, right? Right. You could argue that as well. And I actually was really fascinated by the Uber model uh, as we were evolving in DeNero. And I thought, you know, screw it. I don't really care what investors think. I'm just going to focus on building the best solution possible. And once we have the best solution, people will look at that and, um, and the results will speak for themselves. Whereas I think a lot of people are so busy just trying to figure out what will, what will investors like? And then that really jogs their thinking. And that's really too bad.
1: I love the focus on helping customers. It seems like a very customer driven decision. And uh, I'm, very excited about it because I know you uh, have teamed up with a really great company, just knowing M Accounting so well. Um, but what was it about M Accounting that made you decide uh, that that was the right firm? How many other firms did you talk to ahead of time?
0: <laughs> well, we've identified about 3,000 accounting firms, um, and we've reached out to uh, maybe two to 300 of them. Just a few. Yeah, so just a few. And M Accounting quickly came to the top of the list because of their focus on customers and their focus on creating a great culture for their team. And it just seems like a great fit because, you know, we care about those things too. And if we could work well together, if we share the same values or at least very, very similar values, then then I think we're going to work well together. And I think we're going to add a lot of value for the marketplace. Whereas with a lot of these other folks, Um, maybe we could get there with them at some point, but it's just not quite as clear. And if we have a partner like Tom in the picture to help us uh, steer the ship, then, um, I think we're just going to have a much stronger foundation.
1: Absolutely. Well, and and Tom, I'm so super excited for you, but at the same time, it's really hard to make a big decision like that, you know, being, uh, the the founder of the company and, and CEO for so long. What made you decide that this was the right time to merge with a great company like Indonero?
2: Yeah, no, it's a good question. And you're right, this is my baby, right? I've been doing this for 15 years and yeah, that's a big decision and one that I didn't take lightly. I did a lot of soul searching on this, but you know, at the end of the day, it is a, it's, you said it right a second ago, Matt, it's the right time and it's the right partner. And um, for me, that's what it's all about. I, I think that we have a unique opportunity to do something pretty special together. I think that the outsourced accounting model is really emerging on the scene. You think about the old school accounting model, it's it's audit and tax, right? And that's what everybody, a lot of kids still coming out of school think there's only two paths. You go audit or you go tax and the outsourced accounting model has really gained momentum. And now all of the, all of the firms are going this direction if they're not certainly in their strategic roadmap. So it's coming on the scene in a big way. And I love it. I mean, we've been doing this for, you know, 15 years. And so we, we knew it was a great place to be and we knew it was going to grow and take off. And so to have somebody like Indonero that shares our vision for what this can become um, is, is pretty cool. And to have somebody who provides the, the rocket fuel for us in terms of resources and management expertise and connections the way Indonero does, is really exciting. So, um, kind of a long winded answer, but that's it really is the right partner and the right time for us.
1: What were some of the things most important to you, Tom, um, in, in deciding to move forward with this?
2: Yeah. Well, um, Jessica mentioned it about us, and I would say the same thing um, about them culture. Uh, culture fit was a big deal because we take our culture really seriously put a lot of energy into it. We're looking for the right kind of folks that help us build on that culture and enhance it. And I felt that same thing at Indonero. I mean, they're, they're really committed to their team and to excellent quality service for their clients. And, you know, that's, that was really important. So um, I would say first and foremost, that was that we had to check that box before we were being, before we were willing to to move forward. And uh, we loved what we saw there.
1: Absolutely. Um, Jessica we've talked a lot about culture here it seems like it's something that uh, you've probably been thinking about since day one Uh, what are some of the things that drive the Indonero culture uh, forward and keep you moving in a consistent direction
0: yeah well just for some context when I started the business I really wanted to first and foremost create a workplace where I wanted to be every day And I just had this pathological fear while I was in school that I would end up at some dead end uh, cubicle desk job that I hated. And that was actually a large motivator for me to be an entrepreneur in the first place. And when I started in Denaro, I knew that I would be able to create whatever I wanted. And um, so aside from, you know, creating a fun, lively workplace where people don't take themselves too seriously, which is all super important. Um, I really wanted to have a place that, I mean, the number one thing that, that I know I've kind of repeated uh, over and over again on this podcast is the customer centric thinking. And what does that really mean? Like for me, I love hanging out with my customers. Like I've become close friends with so many customers and, you know, I'll take them on weekend getaways and trips and stuff. And I saw some customers even uh, while I was in Utah uh, snowboarding over the, um, just literally yesterday, actually. And then I went, uh, one day, went out to sit Sundance with another customer the weekend before that. So it's like, I really love spending time with these people. I'm learning what are their problems. And so uh, it's cool to see that my entire team feels the same way. On top of that, um, I mean, let's go through our other core, core values. Um, one of them is uh, take extreme ownership. I want everyone to be an entrepreneur here. It's cool that I get to be an entrepreneur and I get to create, but I also want my team to feel that energy as well. Uh, be direct and be honest is another one of my favorite core values, which is instead of just being passive aggressive towards each other, which I know is pretty common. It's very easy to not share how you feel. Like we, we really promote uh, radical candor to each other. Um, and I was really inspired by the talk. You could go to YouTube and search radical candor. There's a book called Radical Candor and we just called that core value be direct, be honest. Um, so that's a big part of our culture as well. I could go on and on about this for, for hours. So I just wanted to make sure <laughs> I'm on track here.
1: Yeah, no, I, I absolutely love that. And uh, we might need to do a, a follow-up episode because it sounds like there is a lot there that um, I, I would love to learn more uh, from you on how you've set that up and maintain that as you've scaled. Um, I'm just very excited to hear that you're making acquisitions through that same lens. Um, and I know that this isn't your first acquisition uh, either uh, for Indonero. What uh, what have you learned now uh, in doing multiple acquisitions Um that maybe you could pass on to other founders.
0: Yeah, it's been a really cool experience because before I started doing it, a lot of people told me, hey, you want to be really careful. Acquisitions mostly end up in failure, like 90% of them don't end up working out. And it's really easy to get scared away by that. But you could also say, hey, 95% of businesses fail within the first five years right? And you could just not start a company as well. So I think that's the first step, just like uh, go into it with a thesis. Our thesis is combining technology with service practices could be really incredible. So what's your thesis? What are you doing it for? And just be really clear on that. Um, My other advice is look at a lot of different targets. Like we talked to hundreds of accounting firms and we've only picked two so far. And it's really easy to get caught up in the first one you see. And uh, I think it's like dating. You just got to date around and know what you like. And then three, make sure that you're really aligned. Make sure that the founders uh, all get along. So I know I could get along with Tom. um, And I know Tom could get along with the rest of my team and vice versa. So just making sure that interpersonal fit is really good. I think that actually solves a lot of problems. Because you know there are gonna be a lot of challenges in uh, integrating and going down uh, that path, but as long as you all get along and respect each other and have share common vision and values, then I think the rest of the details tend to work themselves out far easier.
1: I really like that. And yeah, I like that you say that you have a, a thesis um, for your acquisition strategy. Um, you don't have to share anything obviously that would remain confidential, but just in terms of like how you put together that thesis, what does that look like? Um, for you, Jessica, is that a one page document? Is that a hundred page document? Is it a PowerPoint? Uh, how, how, did you actually break that down into something that was specific enough, but not, uh, limiting or uh, focusing on the wrong things?
0: I actually, uh, I haven't told Tom this, but I wrote like a, I don't know, like a five to 10 page uh, essay documenting exactly what I thought needed to happen and what it would look like and just mapping out the entire game plan, so to speak. And uh, I kept it mostly to myself. I shared it with a handful of people. I haven't even shared it internally. It was more just a way for me to journal down my thoughts and I'd say most of it is something I'd stand by, but I would just add so much to it now that I have some more experience. Like for example, the emphasis on interpersonal fit um, makes it so obvious that that's critical and essential, but it's not something I took as seriously when I wrote down the thesis. Like when I wrote down the thesis and the thought that we should go after uh, this as a, as a strategy, um, I, I just thought about it from a, I don't know, just pie in the sky, oh, wouldn't it be cool if we did this type of vantage point? Um, but now that we're in it, it's, it's definitely evolving. So I'd say I should probably actually go back to my document and update it.
1: Oh, that's really cool. I, I love that exercise. Um, and, and in terms of the, the benefits of that, I'm sure that it, there is a lot there in terms of um, being able to recognize opportunity when you see it that aligns with that vision. Um, at the same time, uh, allowing you to ignore things that aren't on your path um, when they might come in as potential distractions. Uh, and I imagine too, Tom, uh, th- this really sounds in, uh, in line a lot of what you coach us at Powderkeg and what I've seen you coach other entrepreneurs is, is sort of in, in having a plan and having a, a direction you want to go. Um, and in terms of that direction for M accounting, what are some of the things that really lined up for you in terms of um, your own strategy uh, not necessarily like the get acquired strategy, but the, the strategy of how you want to grow the company and uh, where you want to focus your energy.
2: Yeah, no, that's, that's good. We, we have had a, a vision that we've been talking about for the last oh, three years, at least that we want to see the opportunity that's happening in the industry and we want to take advantage of that and we want to grow. We want to get into new markets, you know, for example, that's one of the things that's been on our um, roadmap for a couple of years that we we want to get into some new markets and we want to take our model that we think is pretty unique and get it out there um, into some, you know, entrepreneurial markets that would really, uh, I think, benefit from it. So, you know, that's that's one example. But there have been several instances like that where, you know, we want to we want to grow. We want to be aggressive, and I think the Indonero opportunity really dovetailed perfectly with our own internal plans. We weren't looking to partner with anybody specifically. We we were trying to go execute a lot of this on our own, and um, and having some success. But it's also hard uh, to do it on your own. And then we, you know, got to know Indonero. The more we got to know them, the more we liked, and the more we realized we shared a common vision and. Um, That's when the partnership in our minds really started to make sense and thought we could join forces and do this together and really, as I said earlier, really create something special.
1: In terms of um, advice you'd give to other entrepreneurs or that you have given to other entrepreneurs who are considering uh, an acquisition um, or a merger of of sorts, what are some of the most commonly given pieces of advice from an accounting and um, finance perspective?
2: Well, the big one isn't—I wouldn't say—is accounting and finance related. It's it's the the people side of it. Um, we spent a lot of time. We talked about this, and I'll piggyback a little bit on what Jessica said earlier. You got to date for a little while. You got to get to know each other. You got to make sure that there's a really good fit with the other side because it is this is a, a business marriage and it's a it is a true partnership. And you want to make sure that one you're you're partnering with folks that you enjoy being around and you know you you click with that's really important and so we we kind of went slow on this uh, we we were talking two years before we actually pulled the trigger and we spent a long time just kind of getting to know each other and developing a, a mutual respect and a comfort level and i th- i consider that to be foundational you got to have that and if that's there then you can really get into the business stuff but um you know, from, so, you know, there's that piece. And then from, you know, a financial standpoint, I'd say, I preach this all the time. You got to model it out. You got to have a, you got to have a financial roadmap so you kind of know where you're going and put the two pieces together, identify the synergy and, you know, map it out and test it and make sure it makes sense. And we spent a fair amount of time doing that as well.
1: Absolutely. Well, and uh, you know, of course we're, co-hosting a webinar coming up with you on how to be exit ready at any time. <laughs> yeah. um, and I'm very- Yeah, nice
2: timing on that, huh?
1: <laughs> that I know, right? That we didn't even know at the time. We didn't yeah, know. Yeah, that. that's right. We probably had some inklings. But, um, so I, I would love to talk about that with you in a minute, but first, Jessica, yeah. I kind of wanted to uh, ask you uh, sort of your philosophy on sort of being exit ready as a company. And as you've talked to a lot of your customers, um, how does Indonero, even help these companies to stay exit ready, meaning at any time they could be acquired when uh, someone's coming to do due diligence or someone's coming to say like, what is your projections and and what is um, the the big value that you you look like you're going to be providing over time uh, pre-acquisition?
0: Yeah, I'd say more important than just being exit ready is being transaction ready. So what does transaction ready mean? It means ready to do a joint venture. It means raising dollars from uh, investors or raising debt from a bank or from another lender or or exiting. Either way, um, the due diligence materials needed in every scenario uh, will probably be fairly similar. Actually, I mean, when we're raising money, it's sometimes more involved than what would you know be asked by, uh, you know, if if we were to sell hypothetically, which which isn't on the radar right now. Um, But um, just to build on what Tom said, I mean, you got to model it out. You got to have all your financials ready. You got to be up to date on your tax returns. Um, From a borrowing money perspective, you got to have your audited financials up to date as well. And so that's something that I have always worried about as an entrepreneur. And so it's really cool to be supporting so many growth companies at Indonera by helping make sure that they don't just have their historicals done, but that they've thought through what the future uh, 12 months, 18, 24 months, or even up to five years will look like.
1: Absolutely. I, I love the, the value prop of that, and I love that software can help with so much of that. Uh, but we've certainly experienced the benefit of the services working with uh, you, Tom, Emma Accounting and, and the rest of your team. Uh, We've assembled a pretty rock star lineup for this uh, upcoming webinar uh, on February 13th. Do you want to talk a little bit about that? I know we've got Kevin Bailey, who's my co-founder, who's hosting that. He has his own exit story of having a $60 million acquisition offer when he owned a third of the company. Um, But letting that kind of slip through in, in some of the process that ensued. So he'll be sharing a little bit of his perspective and asking questions through that lens, not only of you, Tom, but... Uh, from a partner at High Alpha, as well as another serial entrepreneur, Danielle McDowell, who will be on the, the webinar as well. Uh, but, but in terms of sort of the, the questions you want to answer on that webinar, what, what are some of the things that uh, you hear the most from entrepreneurs who are looking to be exit ready or eventually one day get acquired?
2: Yeah, so a lot of times they don't, um, I don't think they, they put the value on having their financial house in order that they should. And that's one of the things we preach early on is you, you need to you need to get yourself ready, you know, whether you're raising money or whether you're selling the company. And as Jessica said, uh, the the items you need to have and, the you know, the, the kind of the rigor you need to have in place needs to be there regardless. And so that's one of the big things I think we want to talk about is what does that mean and give some real world examples. And we'll get into that. You mentioned um, High Alpha. We're going to have Eric Tobias join us. Eric and I worked really closely together for a couple of years and we'll tell this story in more depth on the webinar. But I remember the meeting when we went and talked to him and he was at that point, just a prospect, but he said, look, you know, my business is starting to take off. Some good things are happening. I'm wearing all the hats right now. He was chief cook and bottle washer. And he said, I, I need to focus on the growth part of my business. And I need you guys to take over the the, the finances and, really get everything in good shape so that when the day comes, when we're either going to go raise a bunch of money or we're going to sell the company, I'm not sure which one that we're ready. And so Eric was really wise in that respect. And he knew, he saw the value in it and he knew that he had to get himself ready. Um, And he'll share a lot of that in the webinar um, and you know what that meant and how it paid off for him. But that's, and there's a lot to it. There's, There's no kind of shortcut to that, but, working with the right advisor and the right team to help you get positioned and be ready. And it not, it's, just, it's not just about you know the exit or the fundraising event. There is a ton of value that comes out of that exercise. And I think that's where Mike Reynolds will be able to share his perspective too. Of the value of keeping your financial house in order and doing a disciplined monthly, monthly financial review and talking about the results with a trusted advisor. There's just a ton to, to be gained from that exercise as well.
1: Man, I almost forgot that Mike Reynolds is going to be on that uh, as well. Man, this is just like a powerhouse uh, powerhouse <laughs> webinar. So I'm, I'm very eager and looking forward to it as well. Uh, we'll make sure we put a link to that webinar in the show notes so other founders can uh, jump on. But uh, before we close here on this particular episode, uh, I wanted to um, maybe ask for one sort of like closing thought from each of you. Uh, you know, Jessica, I... I, I I think uh, as an entrepreneur, we all kind of have our guiding principles that we uh, develop over time. And and maybe that even shifts uh, over time what the guiding principle might be for a different season in life. Um, But I I was just curious if you have one particular guiding principle that that you feel is um, particularly important to you that you might wanna share. And then Tom, uh, spoiler alert, I'm gonna ask you the same question.
0: (laughs) I love to preach to entrepreneurs unapologetic confidence what that means is follow your gut and don't be scared to do what's unconventional like uh in our case we started as a software company and now we're acquiring service oriented businesses who want to be tech businesses that's definitely uh unusual but I'm going at it at full speed, and I stand by the strategy and unconventional approach. And it doesn't matter what investors or anyone else will say about it. I know it's the right path for, for the market, for customers, and, and um, it's gonna make us a better company.
1: It's fun watching your success, and I'm looking forward to continuing to follow the journey. Thank you. How about you, what, what's one of your guiding principles?
2: You know, I would say be open to opportunity when opportunity comes knocking. And we were not looking to be acquired. Um, In fact, we were executing on our own organic growth model and we're excited about that and really wasn't even in my plans. But the right partner came along and presented a pretty exciting opportunity. And, you know, we were open to it, which I I, I like to stay open to things like that because you just never know. So that's, I think people, you know, Successful people are open to opportunities.
1: Absolutely. Couldn't agree more. Uh, and I'm so glad that this happened. I'm so excited for this uh, acquisition. I'm so excited uh, for what lies ahead for both of you. Thanks so much for joining us on the show.
2: Yeah, thanks, thanks for, for having me.
1: And I want to thank the listeners for joining us on today's episode. Uh, of course, Tom Gabbert of Emma Accounting and Jessica Ma of Indonero for sharing their story with us. You can follow both of them on Twitter. Uh, Tom is just at T gabbert on Twitter and then at go M accounting. Uh, and then you also have Jessica at Jessica Ma and then in at Indonero on Twitter for links to the rest of the people, companies and resources mentioned in this episode, head on over to powderkick.com and check out the show notes while you're there. Make sure you hit up our events page and register for how to be exit ready at any time. An upcoming webinar we have with Tom Gabbard and some amazing entrepreneurs and investors. Uh, Tom's going to share his wisdom on navigating the exit process. He'll also be joined, of course, by these four other entrepreneurs who will share their stories on successfully as well as unsuccessfully reaching an exit. So it's going to be very interesting and lots of lessons learned shared. To be among the first to hear the stories about entrepreneurs, investors, and other tech leaders outside of Silicon Valley, please subscribe to us on iTunes at powderpig.com forward slash iTunes. We'll catch you next time on Powder Keg, Igniting Startups.